0: Everyone, this is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to the Love Code. Thank you for joining me. So great having you to be part of this conversation. As as always, it's an opportunity to expand our awareness, to open our hearts more, to understand the greatest potential that resides within each one of us. And today's conversation is going to continue along the path of this show, and I hope that it will inspire you to really appreciate the vast possibilities that each of us contain to create a life that's filled with joy, love, health, and purpose. So I'm just going to jump into this conversation. We have lots to talk about today, and my guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Simmons, who is a a medical doctor. Let me just share a little bit about him. He is a retired internist with passports in internal medicine and disaster medicine. He also worked as a hospitalist for 15 years. He has been the president of the Local Medical Society, a chair of internal medicine. He was voted in the top 100 doctors in his community for years. He was a member of FEMA's Regional Advisory Council for Region 10, and he has lectured locally and nationally on disaster preparedness, including giving a seminar for NASA uh, NASA, NASA Medical clinics. and he has been in many Who's Who books. Through the years, under several categories. And um, he also has published numerous books, including one that sold 350,000 copies and was optioned to Hollywood, and once appeared on the nationally televised Steve Allen Show. Wow, I take this back. And he also has been a medical reporter for uh, many radio shows in his career. And he is also the author of his latest book called, Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? The Convergence of Designs, which is going to be a really fascinating topic. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Jeffrey Simmons to the show today. Hello, Jeffrey.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you for being here. Wow, you have accomplished a lot in your life, and you obviously have seen a lot especially with your disaster relief, and have gained great insight and wisdom over the years?
1: Well, I would hope so. Some days I wake up <laughs> and wonder, I hope so.
0: <laughs> well, I guess it's always good to keep you humble, right?
1: How would it seem? I'd say, yeah, you're right. I've I really got a lot of wisdom now. I would not fly very well. It wouldn't sound good. So Actually, <laughs> you know, as I get older, you know, Kind of try it, but as I get older, it seems like the less I know and the more I got to learn.
0: Well, that sounds like a very Zen statement, which is a Mm -hmm. good thing because I think that's the truth, right? You know, we empty ourselves and just connect more to our inner wisdom rather than the knowledge that has been poured into our heads. So I think that's one of the blessings of getting older, and that's what real wisdom is so you've you know traveled many paths you've seen many things you obviously are fascinated by um who we are and who we are physically are the amazing miracle of our human body i don't think people really appreciate how profound our human body is and how it's able to do the things that it does in a way that Seems far beyond the, as we'll talk about the Darwinian theory of mm-hmm. how we got to be who we are, how we evolved. So, what what is it that fascinated you on this this miracle of the human body? And and then let's go into some of the things that you have found to be so extraordinary about how we are. Mm.
1: There's a zillion options and topics I could pick. When I lecture, uh, and I've lectured in a lot of temples and uh, churches and colleges, when I lecture, I sometimes, not more than sometimes, often start out with just childbirth because that's an obvious to everybody. It feels like a miracle already. And I, I go into describing how complicated it really is and how it just couldn't happen by accident. And so... Just briefly, in the beginning of uh, when an egg is fertilized, somehow that egg knows how to get to the right spot. And before that, even the ovary, which has a half a million, between two ovaries, half a million eggs, one is selected. We don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because the, it matches with their partner. Maybe it's random. Maybe it's uh, God done. Nobody knows. Nonetheless, a ovary, with some exceptions like twins or something, Uh, will drop into the fallopian tubes. The same thing with the sperm on the other end. How is it that only one sperm in particular is wanted or used? I mean, several sperm out of millions will make it to the end of the trip and fertilize the egg, Um, and yet the egg will select or allow just one. The miracle not only happens there, but suddenly 3 billion what's called nuclear acids, which are part of DNA, combined with 3 billion In the mom to form these chromosomes, which is the blueprint of life. And so this blueprint says where the heart's going to be and what it's going to look like, how the brain's going to work, uh, what the person's going to look like, basically how tall they'll be, their skin color, on and on. And it's blueprints, everything, virtually everything that uh, is tangible and then some more, which has to do with not being tangible. So this egg travels to the uterus. It somehow knows how to get there, can get there, implants and it knows how to grow. And as the cells divide, they pass on the blueprint, and as the cells divide, the new cells accept parts of the blueprint which are relevant to them. And so they divide and divide and divide, and next thing you know, you have bone cells, and you have muscle cells, and you have heart cells, and you have brain cells, and I'm saying it kind of simply. And somehow the, these cells, and there's billions of them, know how to set up shop They know what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be, what order they're supposed to do it. They're in the right place at the right time. It's unbelievable that this would happen on its own. And a couple of billion years isn't enough for billions of things to randomly or by accident or by trial and error to uh, find each other and work with each other and set up hormone systems and the brain, which is 35 trillion cells, how that works, and I'll come back to that because... One of my more favorite areas, but so the baby develops. It's in a uh, amniotic sac with special fluids. It's connected to mom by a placenta. None of this is by trial and error, and it's not chicken and egg. It's chicken and egg. These things all have to come together. And I have, a, I actually have a recent blog on enviro- and el- evolutionary news about chicken egg conundrums. The whole body is chicken and egg conundrums. Nonetheless, so it, up to nine months thereabouts, approximately, usually close. All of a sudden, the baby knows it's ready. We don't know exactly what the trigger is, the signal, but it sends messages to mom's brain: "I'm ready. Let's get this thing started." And so mom sends hormones back down, saying, "Okay, let's start the process." And so the baby is moved uh, head first, usually, and it's shifted where its head's going down into the pelvis, and then it's the, the muscles squeeze it out, and that's of course following the the water sac breaking and a few other things. It's really remarkable how precise all this is with all kinds of millions and trillions of options that all are working in use. And what's striking in part to audiences is that as the baby's coming down the birth canal, there's a point where it's going to be delivered. And at that point, uh, there's no breathing. There's no oxygen from mom. And as the baby's delivered, it's got to take a breath within four, maybe five minutes. It has to breathe. Otherwise, we have what you used to call a blue baby. It's just going to make it. It's going to have brain damage a little longer than that, and it passes away. So it has to know in some fashion to stop taking in the amniotic fluid for oxygen at that moment, and it has to, in particular, it has a minimum going on, but it has to know as it's delivered it's got to breathe. And so some trigger, and we don't know what it is, whether it's temperature change or oxygenation in the air or some kind of signal, we have no idea. What makes the baby start to believe, breathe? And it isn't the slap on the butt that you see in the movies. That might hurry it up. But that's it. a baby will breathe normally without being slapped on the butt. At the same time, what strikes me is really, really interesting. There's a, a sort of a valve in one of the arteries that has the blood bypass the baby's lungs while it's in the uterus. The blood doesn't need to go to the lungs. The lungs develop. But there's no breathing, there's no oxygen. As the baby is delivered, that valve shuts down and disappears. Another very timed, precise event. If it doesn't happen, you have a baby that needs immediate heart surgery. And, of course, there are examples of failures, and we don't know why. But 99% of the time, or better, this works. So it's a phenomenal uh, coincidences, one might say. And then this goes on and on through life and, uh, you know, We all lose our baby teeth around the same time. Our bones grow uh, the same way. The right and leg grow in unison. Uh, Somehow the body knows to do that with the arms and all types of things. In the brain, uh, these 35 trillion cells, there's a time in the uterus where a quarter million cells, nerve cells, migrate every minute to special places in the brain and set up shop and put out their tentacles. They all know where to go, what to do, how to do it. Uh, they have those instructions in the blueprints. And I often say or ask the audience, who do you think wrote these blueprints? You can, you can guess what some people would say. It's got to be God. Somebody, somehow, something, extraterrestrial, maybe, I doubt it, or God, but somebody wrote these blueprints and told the cells how to use them. And then we march out to puberty, and we all do it around the same age and uh, early adulthood and we have our babies. It's all pre-planned in our gene you know, part of it, there's some things about us that aren't pre-planned, but there's a whole bunch that's pre-planned by the blueprints. And it would get, you know, menopause and old age, it all marches out, you get gray hair at a certain age, with very rare exceptions. And so it's all timed following a schedule, and uh, it's all uh, like the conundrums. What if uh, you didn't have a nose, uh, but you had lungs? You got both. Uh, what if you had a mouth, but not an esophagus? You gotta have both. Uh, you got to have hearing in the brain to be analyzed with ears to catch the sound. Same thing with eyes. You can't have eyes without that part of the brain or vice versa. So I like to talk about this riddle, which came first. It all came. And if you look at evolution, oh, I'm not talking your ear off. I haven't given you a chance to ask me a question. But I'll just add, if you look at evolution and wonder how we got two sexes. You know, they just talk about monkeys evolving into people. But actually, if that happened, the monkeys had to be evolving males and females, and these females and males had to progress in ways that were uh, um, it, it, they were fat, compatible with each other. You can't have uh, one sex lagging behind the other. They have to come along at the same time, and all the processes have to work on a macroscopic level and a microscopic level. And when you get into the microscopic level, that's when you really see the miracles. I mean, Darwin didn't have that advantage. They sort of knew in his day about cells, but very little. And they didn't know about really genetics, I mean, other than maybe a child will look like mom or dad, but didn't have any clue how that worked. Uh, a couple of guesses, and good guesses by Mendel, who was a, a Gregorian monk, a monk with uh, uh, flowers, green, the pea pea flower, and he can breed them and see that there's something doing with genetics and his workings are great. But we really don't know much about how the human being came about. We didn't. And now we think we do, and God, 100 years from now, they'll probably look back at us and say, God, were they dumb, or or they didn't know. And they were actually doing that, thinking that 100 years ago, but like we do a little bit now. But, but, uh, well, does that answer the question?
0: Oh, that just begins the conversation. You know, um, uh, the reason why I think this topic is really important because, especially on this show, which is looking and delving into more spiritual connections and spiritual energies and the deeper questions of life, it really is important to explore who we are. Who are we really? what is the possibility what what is our possibility to to become more than what we've thought um what is you know the 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 destiny of humans where are we going these are such profound questions and it i think it starts with the question who are we and um as you were saying and in the book you really questioned this theory of evolution which i agree i in my research and when i've investigated um there is no, no evidence that we actually who we are with the potentials and how our bodies function and the unique connections that have to occur for us to speak and hear and think it, it is not from an evolutionary process from apes and there's no evidence actually that you know that has been found by um the archaeologists or whoever paleontologists or anthropologists um that actually has has that has never been proven so who where did we come from how did we develop the neocortex part of our brain how did we develop the ability to speak and to think and to talk and communicate? These are really profound questions which um, we're exploring here and you're exploring and thinking about, which I think is so important because you were taught the theory of evolution, right, when you were in medical school? That's the oh, prevailing yeah. belief system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You uh, And I believed it, too. It's not just I was taught it, it was fine with me, it made a lot of sense. A lot of logic in the picture that they like to draw of the fish crawling out of the sea and then the slow evolution of a human being. But it's a trick of an artist. It's not actual proven. So right. I changed my mind uh, slowly to uh, believing that uh, God did it. And uh, it uh, probably happened uh, in my 40s really, and uh, once I started down that path, and the reason was there were so many things that didn't make sense to me that they uh, were talking about. Let me give you an example. I now look at the theory of evolution sort of like the blind men and the elephant, the old Indian, India-Indian um, uh, metaphor, where um, they're feeling different parts of the body. Most people know it, where one put five or six of them on this elephant, one's feeling a tail, one's feeling a leg, one's feeling the side, one's feeling a tusk, one's feeling the trunk, and, uh, and they're blind, and they start arguing over who's right about what this is. But they're only feeling a little part of this. You know, one says it's a column, one says it's a wall, and, and they're going to get into a fight over it, actually, Fisticuffs and some person who, who, who does have vision comes along and explains to them. I think of evolution scientists as being those blind men, that they, what they're feeling is correct, that exists, you know, those fossils exist, uh, that animal exists, yeah, that next animal exists, but they're missing the whole picture And from my perspective. And so um, it's, they say, well, the next stage came with trial and error, but there's no proof of that, and they haven't been able to prove it in any way. Um, and natural selection does work, Make you know, breed horses to be faster horses, dogs to be better hunters, Dogs to be more cuddly. I mean, we can, cows to be more productive. We can change uh, within a species, but we can't change into a new species. So, all the physical part, I think, is easily explained, at least from my perspective, from the scientific perspective of mine. When you get into the spiritual part, that's extremely interesting, and that becomes even more difficult to explain. And I think people who are pro Darwin,
0: So, so Jeff, let's talk about what really impacted you on your journey of of inquiring about the nature of reality when it came to the indoctrination of this evolutionary theory that's taught in schools about the Darwinian approach to who we are. What 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 was it that shifted your uh, understanding, or at least inquired more deeply into if this was a theory that actually held water.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that uh, all the schools that I went to just assumed uh, you would leave in Darwin and accepted the theory, and I did too. I mean, I've been indoctrinated quite uh, extensively along the line. It was just no question. We hardly even discussed it. But after I finished the med school and as the years went by, starting to see the wonders of the human body and trying to explain it based on uh, what we, we have now and what they say changed, bothered me a little bit. My wife, who's a Seventh-day Adventist, was always a believer in the Bible, and uh, we would debate these kind of issues. Her... More from a religious perspective in mind, what I thought was an academic one, and in the beginning I, I kind of felt she, she that's fine, it's her way of thinking, but I didn't buy into much of it. But it's great that she thinks that way. But with time, I started wondering about what you was saying and, and beginning to think about it. And also, as you start having kids, you, you you start wondering what's going on here, and you look at the as you get a little older, you start wondering about your purposes in life and what's going on there. And so I started doing some reading and stumbled on a, a book called uh, The Neck of the Giraffe. And uh, it talks about how the neck is not – we have no fossil record of it and why it's there. And, and all the functions like the pooling of blood at the base in a reservoir at the base of the brain so that when the giraffe lifts its head, take off from a water pool. it can have blood and not pass out like you and I might at that speed. And all kinds of things that were unique to a giraffe that were not seen in evolution or can be explained by that, and the whale and blowholes and tons of other things. I started questioning, and then I cycled back to, to the human being and looking at purpose. And what is our purpose? And it's in my book, uh, Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? And I might just say for a second, just promote the book. It has to do with... Uh, us changing into humanoids uh, and and machines changing into humans. And, and uh, is that going to ever reach a point of singularity where we're one? Anyway, so I started questioning all this and thinking about purpose. And, you know, the purpose, it doesn't seem like it's just to have babies. Uh, maybe it is. But it's so designed in such a unique and complex way. There must be a reason why we do that. And so. Uh, is the reason, you know, like I said in my book, we're on our way to uh reproduce ourselves. But are we here to, you know, as the Bible says, to glorify God, uh to spread the word? Uh, are we here to help the ill and help the handicapped? Uh, are we here to in- improve ourselves? Are we here to make money? I mean, there's different variations on this among people, and the, the purpose is one can make a much longer list. Indeed, my book does. uh and so it began to look to me like it's got to be more than just have babies i mean why do we live beyond 40 years or 35 years in fact maybe 30 years because you can start having babies at pretty young ages uh we must have some reason and so you start talking and reading religious books and other books that are not religious but spiritual and it really is a whole realm of of stuff that's incredibly interesting and you know are we here, uh, are we reincarnated? I find, I don't know that I believe in it, but I find it very interesting, the stories about it. I find the stories about extraordinary people, it's a book uh, published a number of years ago, and I'm blanking on the author's name, and I shouldn't, but it has to do with handicapped people who, you know, can play a piano extraordinarily well at ages four and five, but they can't tie their own shoes. And then there's the one who can you can put in a helicopter and fly him over New York, and draw, he draw you can draw a whole neighborhood and draw the buildings to the exact size of the multiple stories and the plants on the roof, and uh, and he goes on and on about these. And then they have the people who uh, I remember one guy, a black guy I think, who was a coach for a basketball, a football, uh, sorry, baseball team, and he got hit on the head by accident uh, with a bat. From that day on. He was able to, uh, you could ask him uh, what day, uh, March 21st, uh, 1822, did that, you know, what day was that? And he'd say Tuesday. And he he was always right. He he didn't know why. Uh, I find the kid who's four years old who's not handicapped who can play the piano as a prodigy, there's something deeper in there. And you wonder, you know, if I hit myself over the head with a bat, can I do that? Of course, I'm not going to try that, but is it all in there? Are we, do we do all come with that? And I, I'm a firm believer in God and that God did it. And I had some incredible coincidences in my life that support my feeling. Uh, and so I think we're given uh, a lot of reasons to be here. The book, like I said, mostly emphasizes the mechanical stuff, such as um, cave drawings, going to sculptures, going to mannequins, going to robotic things to humanoids, uh, you know, to, to uh, a glass on a, you know, on a beach from a lightning strike evolving into glasses and telescopes and microscopes and evolving into robotic vision. There's a whole passage on robotic hearing, uh, and there's a passage on artificial intelligence. And that's particularly interesting to read about because there's people out there who feel the human being can totally be re- replaced or copied. Uh, that it's just a matter of time. In fact, a number of people have predicted it would happen by 2020 or 2012 even, and and they're way off. But there's some out there who are predicting by 2036 and 2050 that they'll have it down, that they'll have artificial intelligence that will be the same as ours. They just have to copy the brain. In fact, there's movies out there, that, you know, science fiction movies that speak the – I don't think they ever will. There's something about the spark of life. There's something about the spirit of life. Uh, there's some inner self uh, that isn't going to be reproduced in my mind. I don't think creating, the creative nature of a person can be reproduced. You can have a machine mechanically, maybe spit out some new music or paint a house and maybe do a nice job of a paint like a painting. But to create something on canvas, uh-uh. Um, to sit and talk uh, to another person. I'm not certain a machine's ever going to – on TV, the science fiction series of Star Trek and Star Wars have machines that can, especially Star Trek, like data, they can talk to you like they're human. But they don't quite have the emotions down right, and I don't think they ever will. Going back – I'm bouncing around, going back to my book. The reason I think there's a, I think there's a purpose within us to make robots and humanoids is that we're not going to make it beyond mars as as people our technology won't allow it we, to trip to jupiter beyond mars is like five times the distance time wise it's a round trip of about 20 to 25 years and and if they're going to do some work on jupiter if you can even get there uh another three to five years nobody's going to volunteer for that except maybe somebody you know who's way off base and you're not going to want to send them And to study how we send people there, have them experiment in suspended animation for 10 years, 12 years, who's going to volunteer for that? But you can send a humanoid, a robot, and they can be in touch with us in part, and they can do what we do. And the reason for sending one that looks like this, not only is our design spectacular and a good design for this type of thing, but also a picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, You know, Carl Sagan sent up and his partner sent up a gold plaque with Apollo, not Apollo, but I forget, one of the satellites a number of years ago, and showing who, what we look like and where we live. A kind of open invitation to come here and shoot us, I suppose. But if we fly to outer space, we want something, I think, that looks like us in case we do run into an extraterrestrial. So we want something that can do a lot of things we can do and want it to look like us. In fact, there's already been a Russian humanoid on our International Space Station, we're getting robots that look like us, that are doing uh, rescue work. Some don't. Some just look like vehicles of sort. but nuclear waste problems, and nuclear war problems. We're getting robots that are going to look like us, in a sense, fighting our wars. Uh, they are. These robots already exist. Uh, it's just a matter of time before they become part of the infantry and other things. So we're definitely on this path. One would argue or at least talk about, I think, in my book, is that our purpose and then is there? Are there other purposes here? Are we here for other reasons other than explore the planets and make something look like us? And if you flip the coin over, we're making people more into uh, robots. If you excuse me a second. Well, can I jump in? But
0: can you? Can wait? Can I just <laughs> jump in here? Because sure. this, these are these are really deep thoughts. And uh, have you um, read any of the material by Greg Braden? No okay i you recommend it. you do he uh b r a d e n greg g r e g g um he mm-hmm. has a book called human by design i think you'll find it really interesting oh, just really? because he poses these similar questions but he has some other interesting evidence and research to give uh uh you know more pondering on this deep question And one of the things that was so fascinating in the research that he has um, shared in his books and in his lectures was that I'm not sure whether it's chromosome 2 or chromosome 7. There is one of the chromosomes when it is um, uh, um, observed. Um, It turns out that this chromosome actually has been fused in us they can actually see right. that it's it's fused in us it isn't a natural evolutionary process it has right. somehow i mean the term is fused it's like taken part of it part of our dna was cut out another part was put in to replace it and that ability that we achieved as a result of that change or that fusion was um uh facilitated our ability to change the brain, to have speech, to have a neocortex develop rapidly. It was something that happened in some way, by some means, and that's where speculation comes in, what the means was. (laughs) Uh But it is undeniable that we have part of our DNA that was fused into us and gave us this huge evolutionary leap of capabilities.
1: I'm, I'm very familiar with it. And, right? Uh, you're,
0: so, it how, is, so go uh, ahead.
1: No, it is number two or number seven. I, I think it's number two. But that's actually, if you look at the great apes who are supposedly our evolutionary parents, they have 48 chromosomes and, uh, or 24 pairs, we have 46 and 23 pairs. And the reason is because of that fusion. And nobody can explain how that whole chromosome, or two chromosomes actually that twine together, shifted over to uh, number two or number seven. And so I understand exactly what you're talking about. And, and that along with just what I talk about, blueprints in general. And selective use of blueprints, which I you know I spoke about earlier, it is it is unexplained by Darwinian uh, theories, and I don't know I'll be very interested in looking at this book that that has been proven that that is the difference uh, in our mental uh, capabilities, but one would certainly wonder if it isn't because it's a striking difference in the chromosomes and it's a striking difference from monkeys. Mind you, when they say we're 95% similar to monkeys, when you're 95% of 100 things, that's quite a bit. Uh You know, there's only five residual things, whatever those things are. But if you're 95% the same of six billion things, then you've got millions and millions and millions of things that you're not the same. And so a lot of those play a role in in what, in humans and uh, that are different than primates. And it's a giant step uh, from an ape to a human. We have nothing to prove uh, of something in between. And, and the other thing is our, our spirit, our, our conscience, is, conscience is different, quite different. Uh, just knowing your, yourself, having an awareness of yourself, knowing even better than that that you, me talking to you, you have an awareness of yourself. Um, it's, they do these experiments with like red dots on chimps and put them in front of uh, mirrors to see if they can identify themselves. Chimps can do that, but hardly any other um, animal can do it. There is some question that dolphins might be able to do the same if they could come up with a, a similar uh, test. But that that just shows the beginning of self-awareness. Uh, it, where they talk about you put enough monkeys together in a giant cage and give them infinite time, they might be able to write the Bible or Shakespeare. they tried that for thirty days with as many monkeys as they could get in a no big think cage so yeah, and all they got was a lot of monkey poop on the on the computers you know and and a lot of letters like s and t uh, you know they got nothing they didn't get a single word out of it, and so uh it's not going to happen, so yeah, your point's well taken it's a very interesting thing and i'll i'll I'll, I'll look up his book just as uh, uh
0: yeah. You know, I have been fascinated by ancient archaeology, ancient races. If we really there's some great programs on this, there's a great network called uh, Gaia TV. They have amazing programs that go in and look at these ancient cultures, ancient, ancient cultures, you know, that are... 10,000, 15,000 B.C., um, I interviewed um, an author uh, who uh, has looked up archaeological evidence in his books that shows that humans of some sort, uh, humanoid species of some sort have been here for hundreds of thousands, if not longer, years. So our understanding of who we are as the narrative that we have been taught is so off base to be honest and and it 's an important question because if we do not really understand who we are, we cannot fully embody the potential and I want to just go back to those I want to go back to those ancient cultures or those ancient beings, whoever they were these ancestors, and then we 'll also talk about the transhumanism trend that 's going on now because okay these ancient cultures when you look at the megaliths i mean i you probably have seen them and i've been to you know egypt and i've been to um uh cusco with the and uh to um uh, many of these places see these huge megalithic stones you've seen these buildings you've seen the technology or you are out of whatever technology created these megaliths and the advanced right. cultures that have existed um in you know in the past. And um sorry on everything going no, on here. I see. Um I have um, I have an I, 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 have an I, I just target. want to say that it, you know, it expands your mind because there is more to who we are and the possibilities that we embody as human beings than our culture and our science allows us to even contemplate. And one of those greatest gifts and powers and potential that we have actually is in our heart, the consciousness of our heart the capacity of our ability to not just love, but to create this energetic field where we can heal and transform and and open to other levels of consciousness, that is not part of the scientific model. And we're trying to do that by making us machines, but our machines can never, ever become the full potential that is inherent with us as humans as we start this awakening of our true spiritual self and our connection to all of life in the universe. So that's my spiel on all of this. Well,
1: you know, I, I get it. I get it, and I've been writing notes like crazy while you're talking. I share your your thoughts. I mean, the the megaliths, I, I know a lot about these, and I, I follow TV shows and, and authors who write about them, and the megaliths on Easter Island and Stonehenge, they really don't know how these were moved and and, and put upright uh and and placed properly uh like they were with and facing hands.
0: inward, not outward
1: right yeah, I, they just don't have any idea how this happened. I mean you wonder if extraterrestrials then come along with incredible uh helicopters that could lift over something along that line, but we don't know how people can how this could have happened and this is extraordinary. And you do find some similarities when you're between Easter Islands and things found in South America and Central America and things found in the Far East and in India as well. And so one wonders how they were connected. With it. You know I, you get into the extraterrestrials as well when you get into that. And when it comes to transhumanism, some of your audience probably isn't old enough, but I am for sure. There's a show called The Six Million Dollar Man. Uh which was on TV for a number of years where he was an astronaut of some sort who had a bad injury and ended up having legs replaced and and one eye replaced and uh, one arm replaced. And he could do incredible feats. They were all physical feats. I mean, they didn't improve his memory in any way, but he could run almost as fast as a car. You know, he could jump higher than any human being. He, He could shoot some kind of dart out of one of his fingers. You know, he had vision that was incredible in one eye. And so, but it was basically forecasting where we're going. We're, we are replacing pieces and parts of the body, and if you're familiar with the old science fiction, uh, Star Trek, when they de- dealt, with, dealt with the Borgs, who were part man and part machine, we are definitely going that way. But we'll never ever get over the bridge to love. I mean, we might right. have a robot that can fake fake love, but we're not going to have one that can actually love and even understand what to be loved is. And that's certainly very important in our lives without, without any question. Healing ourselves, uh, dealing with our problems and making ourselves into a better person, uh, understanding the world better. You know, I, I don't think a robot's going to understand diddly about what they're saying. They'll just be able to repeat it as if they're understanding. They do have robot models of sort now that do psychotherapy uh, almost through a telephone, like the way we, we talk. You know, you talk to a machine, and it, and it, it analyzes what you're saying, and it answers you, and, and they're getting pretty good with it. But I don't think there's at all any understanding on the other end. Uh, to go back for a little bit here, just for a second, if I may, my first book along this line was called What Darwin Didn't Know, which talks about the problems with his theory. And there's a whole chapter on the difference between us and chimpanzees. The second one was Billions of Missing Links, which basically is the elephant that the blind men aren't feeling and and, and uh, are pretending like their sides are connected. And, and this was, are we here to recreate ourselves? And this has a lot to do with what you're talking about, transhumanism, and are we going that way? And indeed, the, the newest book I'm working on has more to do with that. I'm trying to get a, a fourth book done uh, along that line. It's incredible what we really are. And what we're capable of and what's going on there's so much we don't understand and i like i said i'm I'm really struck by a prodigy who can uh there's an arcane i think is her name a a painter uh a beautiful young lady i've watched for the years i don't know her i've never seen anything but i watched about her and she she is an artist from four or five years old that her paintings now sell for five figures They were beautiful. And then as she got to be a teenager, she got into music, and she can compose. She plays several instruments. Where does this stuff come from? Like I said, can you hit yourself over the head with a bat? If you do it in the right place, and you can do it too. Is it just in our genes? Or is it something passed on uh, from past generations? And that's where the reincarnation comes in. Uh, You know, was this person a concert pianist who died uh, and just somehow didn't have those genes erased? I don't understand how that comes about, but feelings and thoughts. You know, when you think to yourself, you're talking to – who are you talking to? You're talking to? You're talking to a spirit, or is the spirit or the soul talking to you? You know, your voice box, your vocal cords don't move, so you're not talking, talking. There's voices sometimes more than one – more than two, rather, and that may be important. That may be a serious problem, but who? what's going on in there? I – I've often asked at meetings when I've been uh, uh, with groups of experts, who's talking to who in there? I mean, it's sort of like uh, Pinocchio, who had uh, Jiminy Cricket on one shoulder and lackluster or something like that name. That's not quite right on the other shoulder. And one would tell him what the good things were to do, the kind things, the right things. The other would tell him what the bad things do and try to encourage Pinocchio to do the bad things. And in the the middle of the book or the movie, uh, he starts doing some of the bad things he's encouraged by the other individual on his shoulder, but it, it, it basically, I think the guy who did Pinocchio was thinking of the two voices that are in there, and that's our conscience in a way. Freud kind of talked about three voices, a superego, id, and ego, and uh, there's something going on in our head that we don't understand. Uh, I don't think but, it's
0: in our head, Jeff.
1: Oh, okay. I don't well, there think, you go. I
0: don't think I don't think it's in our head. I think we have to... I think consciousness, I think our head, as you know, is a receiver of consciousness, but it's not our thoughts that are the key. It's the, and, and that's where these great spiritual traditions, what are they telling us? They're telling us to quiet the mind because we are obsessed with thoughts. We're obsessed with thinking. We've been programmed in our culture to think. And we are powerful, creative beings. So we can, whatever we think, we can create. And we are doing that. We're creating robots. We're creating, um, uh, you know, various technologies, some for good, some for bad. And we are, you know, whatever we can create in our mind, we can bring into reality because we are conscious, creative beings. But mm-hmm. we have gone, in my opinion, uh, we're on a very dangerous razor edge because we cannot evolve if we do not evolve the heart and the compassion and the balance of understanding that the ability to think, to come up with ideas, be conscious, be creative, has to be in service to the heart. And this is the true nature of human beings. makes us different from any other creature. And when they Mm -hmm. are moving us towards transhumanism, which is, you know, the uh, the um, the, the Musk thing of uh, the Neuralink, putting things into our brain, let us think and have computers respond. Um, It's very seductive. It's very enticing to be able to have these powers and abilities, but it's going to lead us in a direction that disconnects us from who we are and are part of the whole of the universe and of the consciousness, which you call God, I call oneness, that is the true destiny of humanity. And we are at an edge. We are on a, the beginning of a new era, according to ancient Indian traditions, of this evolution of consciousness, which you probably agree with. But it isn't mm-hmm. through transhumanism. It isn't through making us Borgs, which are soulless beings. Yes, yes. Soulless beings. we That's the, that's that's where we're going with transhumanism, have these abilities, but be soulless. And if we don't have a soul, we cannot be all that we can be.
1: I so. agree. This sounds a little bit like Deepak Chopra, um, who talks about the consciousness not being actually in our head, in our brain. Um, no, I agree. So the soul... Uh, the... Ancient Hebrew um, texts talk about uh, the uh, soul being inserted uh, or the spirit being inserted uh, at the fortieth day, and uh, and the, they are against cremation, of course, at the other end of life, uh, in part because of this, the body belongs to God and the soul, you know, has to has to leave in, a, in a, a natural way. And, um, it I, I find this. Very interesting as I get older, I find it more and more interesting. Um, I, um, as I mentioned, I, I am a believer in God and a spiritual believer. I, I don't do anything in, in any uh traditional way or go attend anything very often or much, but uh, I know there's not enough time and probably not enough interest. But I've had some incredible coincidences, Cheryl, that uh, uh speak to me as to something's going on. Um, that I can't explain, and uh, I don't know why. And In fact, I've had a couple times where I think my life was actually saved also. I have not heard mm-hmm. other voices or seen angels or anything of that sort. Uh, but be it as may, we bo- both agree that this, what we're talking about, this spirit of the soul, exists. And you're right, I don't think they're ever going to make a Borg into a human, even though the, the fools think they can do this in some period of time. Uh, and I do think... Uh, um well I agree with you. And now that I'm taking notes of what you're saying, so I'm gonna be looking up some things just for myself. <laughs>
0: well, you know you know what concerns me, um, as we are here in this COVID period and everyone's rushing to these vaccines and they wanna do this RNA version, this experimental version of the right. vaccine that has the potential to alter our DNA. I mean we don't know what we're playing with. Because right. it's an experiment, right? These, these, right. whatever, whatever may come about with these vaccines to the COVID, and I, you know, I have a whole different take on this COVID thing than most people. But um, if we are in- injecting substances into our body that not only poison our body but can alter the very DNA, we are messing with something that potentially is a disaster for humanity?
1: You know, as a physician, I'm familiar with some diseases where we develop antibodies to our cells. And lupus is one of those. And, in fact, some of the deaths from COVID might be antibodies that are attacking lung tissue that are trying to fight the virus. Well, if you end up developing antibodies to RNA, which this is what you're talking about, is will it attack RNA uh, in other parts of our body and cause changes, even subtle changes that they can't spot early on? And I'd be myself reluctant to have a vaccine that's uh, anti-RNA. That said, it appears as if Trump is supporting, money-wise, two other kinds of vaccines, neither of which, from the best of my reading, are anti rna and so if it's not anti-RNA, it's the old traditional, just getting antibodies, and they look like they work, I'd be more interested. But I hear what you're saying. I'd be a little hesitant. I certainly would be a little slow in doing it.
0: <laughs> You'd be last online. line?
1: <laughs> I, well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, I would. I, As a physician, I practiced for 40-some years, and nonetheless, I learned lots and lots of lessons. And one of the lessons I did was don't get in the front of the line when it comes to new medicine. <laughs> And don't put your patients in the front of the line because all of a sudden they just, you know, when they go from testing something on a thousand people and they don't find a certain side effect that might be really serious, they do find it when they put it out on a million people or five million people. And lo and behold, uh uh-oh, it's got something bad there or these kinds of things you really don't want. And it gets recalled or it gets altered in some way. And so I've seen it one too many times. I've had... Instances where this medicine sounded like, God, this is terrific. Instead of giving them four pills, I'll give them this, just one. It takes care of all that. And lo and behold, we get a side effect that isn't described in the literature, but we stop it anyway. And then two years later, there's an uh-oh, we found out it causes bloody urine or something, for instance. And so I, I, with, with rare exceptions where it really was critical, I would encourage my patients not to get on any bandwagon in the beginning Because God knows what we're doing with some of these medicines. A a large number have been recalled and and not come back. And some have actually caused fatal consequences, not just mental problems. So, yeah, you know, butt implants and and breast implants and those kinds of things are probably pretty benign. But we start dealing with uh, inner things like chemical processes and, and particularly genetic things, we're stepping into areas that we don't really understand very well.
0: Well, that's really reassuring to hear you say that, as as a <laughs> physician, and you know, and I mean, and there, be, you're obviously more thoughtful. You've investigated these things. You've looked at the miracle of the body, and you know, you're pretty enamored as right as you should be. I mean, you know, I I do encourage people to uh, pick up your book. Are we here to recreate ourselves? The convergence of designs, because um, when I was reading your book, it's so fascinating to understand the miracle of the body, how everything has to be precisely connected in place, doing it at the right time for the outcome. I mean, that is not some random event, and I think when we begin to see the miracle of the body, we can begin to appreciate more the miracle of who we are, and not and just you know, we're just beginning to appreciate who we are. I think that's where the ancients are inspirations. I mean, they had abilities. They had a connection. They had um, access to knowledge that, that has been lost for the most part. And oh, we're here to reconnect and rediscover the huge potential to make our 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 world a better place to, my, to make our species and all of life live in um, you know in a in a place of you know true Garden of Eden right to when yeah. as we shift our consciousness and understand our connection you know I've spent time in the Amazon and I have uh, had experiences with some of the plant medicine that's used by the Shipibo people in the Amazon, which gives them this profound ability to understand the connection with all of life and to live in harmony and create all sorts of miracles of healing. And um, I I think we have so much to learn from those people, from those indigenous people.
1: How do you spell that
0: tribe name? The Shipibo, S-H-I-P-I-B-O. Okay, I'll look it up. Or P-I-B-O, Shipibo. Okay. uh, Yeah, indigenous people. And um, so so I have great respect for indigenous cultures, which our Western culture has demonized in many respects and made them subhuman, Just watching a documentary about the early writings about the Shoshone people. It was disgusting to think of them, how how they were perceived by our culture. But these are the cultures, and I've also spent time with Aboriginal elders. They have the wisdom. (laughs) Jeff, we have the technology. They have the wisdom and the connection and their place in the universe. And it's profound.
1: Yeah, there's always been an arrogance. Uh, um, the, you know, we think we're smarter than past people. There's groups of people who think they're smarter than other people. Uh, you know, we we're the people of South Dakota have jokes about the people from North Dakota. It's there's a human nature, and we we suffer from it too. The technocrats think you know they have all the answers, and the spiritual folks are kind of foolish. I share this with you. I also I find uh, the ancient uh, civilizations and the connections potentially to extraterrestrial civilizations fascinating. I'm not a, a strong believer in extraterrestrials, but I find the information intriguing enough to catch your attention. And, you know, there's a whole series called Ancient Aliens. And anybody who's listening to me say say this might think, oh, God, this guy's a kook. Uh but it's interesting. I think the, the where did this come from, and and a lot of similarities between cultures that are so far apart. And uh, I, I'm very interested in what you're talking about, and you've got me my appetite wetted even more.
0: <laughs> well, you know, when you are, you know, in this place in your life where, as I am, where you know, you're it's like you're open, you're hungry to explore deeper truths. Right? It's like, pull back the curtain. Who are we? Why are we here? These are such compelling questions. And it's so fascinating because it is expansive. We become more expansive when we open our minds to see more of who we are, where we've come from, what has, you know, existed in the past, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know it's, a, it's a fascinating world. And we need to be open and we need to explore.
1: There must be purposes to our life. And, the, and if you're spiritual and religious, you go down the line that you're talking about entirely. Um, and I, I try to, and that's what I, as I've gotten older, i look closer and closer at. And I think as a physician, that was kind of in my head a lot when I was doing what I did. And, um, yeah, I got paid. It was a job. But it was much, much more so than just doing that. Helping people, it seems to me, is really a big part of um, our uh, conscience, uh, our purpose in life. And uh, not stepping on people or doing a whole host of terrible things that some of us do to others. And uh, helping people. I like Sister Teresa's attitude. I don't think I could ever live the way she lived, no matter what. But
0: uh, I have a and lot you, of respect. And, and, and fortunately, you don't have to. <laughs> like yeah. You can, I you're doing to. it in your way. You know, right. Jeff, we've come to the end of the show. I want to be sure people know how to find you and your book. What's the best website for people to check
1: yeah, out? Yeah, to find
0: a little bit about me
1: and my books in particular, you have to go to Amazon.com. And just okay. uh, hunt for Jeffrey with a G, G E O F F R E Y, Simmons, like the mattress books. And you'll get, uh, not all 10 of my books are available, but the three that deal with this, the newest one, of course, is Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? Uh, what Darwin didn't know is had gone through 11 printings, uh, a lot of sales, huge sales. That's the first of three. And that's published by a Christian publishing house. I am Jewish by Heritage, and so I'm the only Jew they ever published, and they published it with, with glee. The middle book is uh, Billions of Missing Links, and so those are the three. I have an old spoof book, actually two, and I have several novels, and a couple of them have been exceedingly well. In fact, my first novel did so well, I was thinking Michael Crichton, move over, I'm coming in, but it didn't <laughs> happen. And, uh, well,
0: and so, so, so people it, just... I, I just want people to know how to spell your name. So it's Jeffrey with a G and Simmons S I M M O N S. And Amazon dot com. Check out all his books. Um, Jeff, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. And all of the best <laughs> with your new book. We are here well, to I, recreate. I learned skills.
1: as much as I think I learned as much from you as maybe you learned from me. That's great. Oh.
0: Well, it's wonderful to have conversations like this. That's what it's all about. So I wish you all the best and the greatest success with the work you're doing. And thanks again for being with us. And thank thank you you all listening. Um, It's great having you here with me on The Love Code. And I trust you will be joining me every week. And until then, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.